Welcome into the Maroon Mike Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. I'm your other co-host, Daniel Faulkner. All right. Uh, just, we've had to record the intro now multiple times on back-to-back shows because people cutting out at weird times. So I'm glad this time it went through. Uh, yeah, we're back here at the end of the week, and we've got a lot to talk about. So let's get right into it. We had the ACC-SEC Challenge for basketball, both men's and women's. Could have gone better for Mississippi State on both sides. We'll start with the men's team, and Dan did not watch this game, so I'll just handle the recap here. I read a book. I was doing great. You, I saw all, all, everyone else suffering on Twitter. I was like, I'm having a great time. You picked the better way of spending your evening uh, than, than us because Mississippi State lost to Georgia Tech. 67 to 59. And yeah, there's no getting around it. That's a bad loss. Um, Georgia Tech is a team that even after getting that win, they're at 135 in Ken Palm. Um, no idea where they're going to be in the net, which the net comes out, I think, on Monday. So just a few days away from having that to point to. Uh, but I mean, that's a loss that dropped MSU, I think, around nine spots. They were like 19, they're down to 28. This look, this is a Georgia Tech team that had barely beaten Howard. They lost to UMass Lowell, whoever that is. They were killed by Cincinnati. Like, this this was not a good basketball team. And State goes to Atlanta in a basically empty gym and just had a really, really rough night. Um, terrible shooting. They just – I felt like they took a bunch of bad shots, and it showed up. Um, trying to pull up the stats here, which for whatever reason don't want to load. Any day now. Here we go. Okay. Yeah, MSU as a team shot just under 31%. And they were 23% uh, from deep. Just a a poor shooting night all around. Um, You know, Josh Hubbard was your leading scorer. He put up 17 points, which I guess you kind of come to expect from him at this point. He was 6 of 18 shooting, though. Um, DJ Jeffries had a solid night. He was 4 of 9 double figures. Uh, But, I mean, he was 1 of 5 from deep. Deshaun Davis had 12 points, but, I mean, it was all again 3 of 10 shooting. He kind of did more of his damage at the free throw line, which is kind of what he does. But just a, a really, really rough night for MSU. Sha- Shaq Moore was was one of five. Sean Jones was one of six. Two of ten for Trey Fort, which not going to bag on a guy, but I don't think Trey Fort to this point has lived up to uh, the, the season opener. I think we got really excited about that, and since that point, it just hasn't really been great for him. Um, I think they didn't attack the paint nearly enough, which is funny. I think they actually ended up with more points in the paint than Georgia Tech did. Uh, let's see, 26 for MSU compared to 20 for Georgia Tech. Yeah, but I still felt like Jimmy Bell was someone who they should have gotten more involved, and they didn't. Uh, Bell only attempted four shots the entire night. Now he had 13 rebounds, but he was two of four shooting. And it is funny, of course, right after I sent out a tweet saying they should do that, they get it to Jimmy Bell and it immediately gets blocked. Uh, Georgia Tech had five blocks in this game. But I still felt like, like they should have forced the issue a little bit more because I felt like they were forcing the issue everywhere else. Um, it just felt like there was a lot of rough shots, just kind of really sloppy all around. Meanwhile, Georgia Tech in the first half, I mean, they, they couldn't miss. They uh, shot 48% from the field in the first half. They were 40% from deep. Um, now, they cooled off in the second half. And for the night, they only ended up shooting – just over 34%. They were under 30% from three. But 
they played well enough in the first half that they were kind of able to go on in coast mode in the second half, and MSU didn't really get any better in the second half. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Georgia. Like, I think one of the big differences, Georgia Tech, they they managed to turn their turnovers into points. Mississippi State did. Uh, points off turnovers for Georgia Tech, they finished with 16. MSU had just five. Compared to, like, State turned the ball over 13 times. Georgia Tech turned it over 12. So, State had one more turnover, but Georgia Tech got 11 more points out of it. Georgia Tech attempted 23 free throws. MSU only attempted 16, which that's not really where the discrepancy, a huge discrepancy, but some of that does come from, okay, when you're actually attacking the paint, you're driving to the basket, you're going to get more of those opportunities, and MSU just didn't get it. Um, yeah, just not a great night. Um, you know, at times I felt like you were watching uh, – Josh Hubbard tried to play hero ball and, you know, he was taking a lot of shots. He really had no business taking, but at the same time, it's hard to complain when he's the only one who's getting anything to fall when no one else on the team was getting much to happen whatsoever. Um, You know, this was, I mean, this, frankly, look, this team looked like what last year's team would have looked like without Togu Smith is kind of how that, worked out except the defense was bad in the first half like they were really out of position defending the three on several occasions um so i mean this kind of if you want to talk about msu without tolu smith and you you just assume the last team a year ago that had not improved as a scoring team which so far to this season they had this is what it looked like um and, and you get a pretty poor performance you know andrew taylor didn't play that's another game, and I don't know what the deal is there. Um, that's for a guy that I'm pretty confident MSU had to shell out some NIL money to get, that he's not done anything. That's I, I understand he wasn't lighting it up when he was playing, but to not even have him on the floor if, you know, apparently there's nothing wrong with him health-wise. And if there is, then, you know, I apologize. I don't know. But, like, you got to find someone to be able to contribute in some way. So, I mean, that's concerning. This was just not – it was just a poor performance. Um, look, it's not a loss that kills you, but it's one that is going to look poor. On the, I would imagine we'll look poor on the resume in March. Now, you, obviously, you have to hope Georgia Tech would stay. I think it, they would have to be top 150 in the net for it to be a quad two loss. Uh, it's either 150 or 130. I don't know for I don't remember for sure. You hope they stay there. Um, you hope that they build off this and look competent enough throughout the ACC that it's not just a, a terrible loss in the resume. But there's a chance this is one that looks pretty bad when it's all said and done. And again, one of those is not going to kill you. But and I guess you do have to factor in, you know, Tolu Smith is out. The committee says they consider those things. But when you've got an MSU team that had been playing so well, can you really say that they lost this game because they didn't have Tolu Smith? Maybe. Maybe that's part of why they f- didn't feel confident in – you know, attacking them more inside. But again, Jimmy Bell had been playing really well for you. So, you know, what was the thought process there? Um, you know, you, you've given yourself a little bit less margin of error pretty early in the season. It's disappointing, right? This is a team that I think people have very high expectations for, kind of justifiably. And I know those, t- those expectations got hit a little bit with the news that Tolu was going to be out. But, you know, the way they've been playing recently, you wouldn't have expected this. Frustrating game. Um, hopefully they bounce back. They have Southern next, who is one and six on the season, has played a bunch of power conference teams and gotten obliterated by all of them. So there's no reason for MSU to not dominate. 
Overall to the women's side, and this is a game Dan did watch some of, so he can he can talk a little bit here. Another loss, but this time you can't really be upset. They fall to Miami 74 to 68. Um, obviously that's a quality opponent coming to the hump. Look, they're not the same team that went to the Elite Eight a year ago. And I don't know if they're a tournament team or not, but I don't think that's going to be a bad loss when it's all said and done for MSU. But the biggest reason, like you can't really be upset is you only had seven players ready to go. Uh Jessica Carter and Aaron Barnum both out. Uh, so, I mean, that's a huge hit. Two of your starting players in the post, two all SEC caliber players that are off the court for you. And, you know, Montague is one of your top options. Uh, and Dan, we were prepping for this. He pointed out, I completely forgot, Ramani Parker. So that's another – like, you you don't have her when you thought coming into the season maybe you could. So that's another player, you know, in that spot where you were missing them and, you know, you, you got the result. It, like, that really factored into how this result played out for you. Because if you look at it, MSU shot the ball really well in the night. I thought I had the box score already pulled up and pulling it up now. Um, they shot 40 – they were uh, – no, that was Miami. Well, still, State shot 41% from the night, which – not great overall, but they were 40% from three. Now, the problem for you is that Miami shot 47%, and they were 50% from three. Um, so Miami shot the ball better in this game, but the like a big difference was that lack of presence in the post. Uh, Miami out-rebounds you 49-23. to 23. They more than double you up. Points in the paint for Miami, 32. For Mississippi State, 22. Uh, you know, offensive rebounds. MSU got five in this game. 18 for Miami and second chance points. They had 15 compared to just five for Mississippi state. Um, you know, uh, Nyanga Goni, who's a Miami transfer. She gets her first start at, at that spot, seven points, 10 boards for her, which, which is nice, but you know, only two of nine shooting and she took four threes, you know, knocked down one of them, but you know, She's she obviously like that's not someone who you expect to be a big contributor to score. And, you know, you kind of saw Miami was able to take advantage of it a little bit. Now, Lauren Park Lane had a fantastic game, 20 points, 10 assists for her. Uh, both Debrisha Poe and Darian Rogers were really good for three in this game, and they both have double figures. Uh, but you kind of see, you know, again, Miami just shoots the ball better than you, and they had a real, they were able to take advantage in the paint. And look, you only got seven players. You're going to get wear out, you're going to wear out as the game goes down. Um, because you just don't have that depth. So tough to take a loss, but definitely like you have to be proud of the effort that they showed in this game given the circumstances. Absolutely. And and pregame, when the announcement went out about all the players who were out, um mainly Jessica Carter, who's an all SCC player, you kind of had a little you know, a little pit in your stomach, you're like, God crap, right? Like this isn't going to be good because you, like I said, coming into this, you knew the caliber team that you were playing. Sure. They don't have the Miami doesn't have like the media attention that they had last year when they had uh, the Cavender twins over there, they still made the elite eight, right? They still very solid and talented team. And, and yeah, like I said, they were hitting their shots pretty well. Mississippi state. And I, and I like what uh, uh, Stefan said, you know, is you kind of got memories of like the Doug Novak era, right. Where you only had seven players, but they were dogs out on that court. Right. And it was, so it was a, it, it, it was just too good of an opponent to be able to, to beat. Right. And, and unfortunately, you know, those kind of things you just kind of have to deal with sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you're going to drop a game like that that doesn't take away from the talent that this team has. This is still a tournament team. 
is a team that can run pretty deep in the SEC, right? I mean, you have your two top dogs of LSU and South Carolina. Mississippi State is is one of those teams that's that's you know really going to be fighting for that third place spot, right? In the end, in the SEC, you want one of the top four spots, right? I mean, you know, obviously the tournament doesn't mean as much uh, nowadays, but you want you want to be top four in the conference, and and I think this team is still capable of that. You get back to to full depth and full health, right? You're still going to miss Romani Parker, uh, just just because for height, um, she able to to get that down in the post, but also I mean she was a player who could at times uh, shoot the ball. That will hurt you down the stretch, I think. Still a team capable of finishing top four in the SEC. Very proud of them. Yeah, I mean, look, they got off to a great start. I mean, they were up like 8 nothing in this game. Um, they had to lead at halftime. There, there was the unfortunate little thing where you got the chance to hold for the last shot, and then you get a 10-second violation on Lauren Parkland. I think uh, – I believe Purcell owned up to that and t- took responsibility on it. Like, he didn't – he didn't urge her to get across the court, which it sucks. I mean, I think they still like Miami didn't score off of that, luckily, and like you still had an opportunity there at the end. But um, you know, you just you ran out of gas, and it is what it is. Um, like you said, this is not one you really should have to worry about from a resume standpoint. I, I think this team will be fine. Um, they play at Chattanooga on Sunday, who is seven and one of the season, so that's another road game in the state of Tennessee against a mid-major program. The thing is the mocks have played no one of significance. So I have no idea if they're good or not. Um, so well, a road game against a team that's winning at the very least, you obviously hope you're back to full strength for that one, but I would tend to think uh, the women's team will be able to handle their business there. Moving over to football, obviously uh, you've got a new football coach with Jeff Levy. We discussed that at length in the last episode, um, but you had his introduction on Monday night uh, with the event that was put on his press conference. I, look, I don't take too much away from the opening press conference. Um, I'm not going to fault anyone for getting excited because, look, hey, coach went to press conference. You, you you would much rather him come in and be confident and sell you on the program than come in and just kind of say nothing. Um, but I think you and I both have the same biggest takeaway, like really impressive job from MSU's athletic department and marketing department for how they put that production together. I agree. It's, they're making a statement saying, hey, this is our coach. We're going to market him well. We're going to tell everyone, like, this is our guy. They want everyone to believe and be excited about Mississippi State football again, right? I mean, it, you, you've been hit or miss with some of the coaches in the past, right? Obviously, Arnett didn't work out. Moorhead wasn't that great. But you've seen success with the program before under Mullen and Leach. And that makes you want to believe that Look, this guy, he can work out. And they're they're doing a great job at selling that. I really do like it. Uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed. Very impressed. I loved the entrance with Levy, Selman, and Keenum uh, coming out like it was like freaking WWE. I don't know. <laughs> it was a walkout to a UFC fight. I mean, it was awesome, right? And that's what their goal was. Uh, they they achieved what they wanted. The fan base is excited. Um, and and I never really got to finish up, I guess, a lot of what I said in the last episode. I mean, look, obviously, say what you want about Levy, the pass, all that. I do trust Mark Keenum. I never got a chance to say that. Mark Keenum is always a part of, of football. I do trust him. Right. So as much as I don't know as much about Zach Selman, 
do know a lot about Mark Keenum. Um, if he if he makes a decision about something, I'm going to stand behind it. And so, look, that kind of press conference is the one where maybe going into it, right? I think a lot of us were saying we're maybe indifferent about the hire. That kind of entrance and that kind of uh, marketing job that they did makes you just want to say go from indifference to just pure excitement. It makes you want to do that, right? Obviously, you know, we all have our opinions about it. But man, they did a good job. Really liked it. Fireworks are great touch. Um, Hell State. You know my favorite thing? Words blue collar were not said once. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I, I will I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. Um and I, I was a little bit critical of this during the marketing for Ornette. But if there's something I'm going to give, like you, ha- I, while I may be a bit cynical of it, and I'm a little cynical of it this time too, because I'm just a cynical person. Um, sorry, it's just what I am. Um, but it's been very clear. I think the athletic department, like it, they've made it clear that they're listening to fans. I also think they've listened to fans in terms of messaging. With Arnett, what point got hammered time and time again? We are going to put the best 11 players on the field, and we are going to find ways to get them touches. We are going to fit the scheme to the players. Give your best players the ball. They, Why did they hammer home that point nonstop? Because one of the biggest complaints under Mike Leach's tenure was that you weren't getting all of your best receivers on the field at the same time. You weren't designing touches for those players consistently. That that was something fans were very frustrated with. Obviously, that you know, the, the talking about explosive plays that was a big thing because the offense wasn't explosive. Zach Arnett and his staff are not saying those things time and time again. If it was not something state, like yes, they're buzzwords that coaches always say. But there's a there's a difference between bringing it up every now and then, and literally every time a mic was in front of that man, he was going to make some comment about the best eleven players in the field. He's not saying that if he's not being told, hey, this is something the fan base is really worried about. We want you to hit the home hit home this point. Fast forward to this, I would not be shocked at all if blue collar did not get brought up because something was said, hey, folks are getting tired of hearing about blue collar mentality. Because Jeff Levy, not to just, you know, stereotype, but a coach from Texas from Texas with his accent, I feel like that's a guy who's said blue collar a, a time or two talking about football. And he didn't say it. I feel like there's a re- like how, how many coaches I think just say the phrase blue collar without thinking about it. I feel like he probably said it, or he was probably told not to. But the other big thing, he came off the plane t- talking about, and this was obviously Sunday night. We're going to score points. They absolutely, and I get that's a selling point with them, but they have absolutely hit home. Hey man, this fan base is anxious to see offense. That's what we're trying to sell. So, you know. While, you know, again, I'm cynical of these type of things, I do at least like appreciate that the marketing department is doing what they can try to do to try to sell to the fan base. Um, really, the only takeaway I had uh, from the, the the press conference is Levy saying he will be the play caller, which I think is good. To me, this hire, I would be a lot more skeptical of it if that guy's coming in and is not the one running the offense. Now, I understand that there's a lot that has to be balanced as a head coach in this day and age in terms of managing running an offense while also running a program when you consider the portal and NIL and just roster management. But the selling point on Levy is points. 
And while obviously there's guys out there he has connections with who can come in and could theoretically run things, um, I would still rather him be the one actually calling the offense. Because, you know, not to diminish him too much, but to me, if you're if you're hiring Jeff Levy, why, why would why would you be hiring Jeff Levy for any reason other than offense? His offense. I, I know that's not the end all be all. I know there are other factors that Selman had to consider. But that is the selling point on him. So basically, yes, I think it's a good thing that he's coming in calling the offense because that gives me more confidence that the offense will be what it needs to be. Um, you know, he also talked about the other big thing. He kind of made it clear we're going for a poor quarterback. I mean, he just it wasn't just kind of made it clear. He came out and said it. Um, so you and that that'll be something we talk about a little bit later in the episode. Uh, some potential options for MSU. Um, speaking of coaching staff, though. Uh, because again, talking about bringing in somebody to be the OC, he said there will be an offensive coordinator, but again, it's not going to be someone who calls the plays. It's going to be managed things. This is what we know in terms of staff news. So far, three staffers are unofficially back. Chad Bumpus is returning as wide receivers coach. Uh, David Turner is back as defensive line coach. And it appears, at least based on what I saw from Steve Robertson, Greg Knox will be back in some capacity, whether or not that's an on-field role or he stays as an analyst. They are going to keep Greg Knox around. Um, as for those three, David Turner, obviously this season wasn't the best out of defensive line play, but I do think that the talent level on the deep line was definitely less than what we've had in the past. And that is a guy whose track record is to go and get incredible defensive linemen and do a good job coaching them. So definitely totally understand that hire. Bumpus, I have – I'm I'm one of the few state fans who probably has slightly mixed feelings here. I understand why he's back, and it's from a recruiting standpoint, right? It's you want to have someone on the staff that has ties within the state of Mississippi. And obviously, when you consider J.J. Harrell is one of your top commitments, and you are desperately trying to get Stock of Burnside back into the boat, and it does sound like some uh, moves have been made in that way, I don't think your chances that, like, you're not getting him back if you do, if you don't retain Bumpus, and who knows? Maybe you lost, you would lose Harold if you didn't keep Bumpus. That's huge there. Now, why do I still feel iffy about it? Wide receiver play was up and down at times. Like the route running was certainly something that stood out, uh, and at times it just kind of felt like you didn't have receivers in the right spot. How much of that is the play? Now, how much of that is the offense? How much of that is bump? We're never going to know for sure. But the other thing here. And you know, we'll kind of get into the scene when you start talking about the the hires that have been made. Levy obviously runs a very specific system, and there's there's a, a way that you play receiver in that system that's going to be different than anything Bumpus has taught to this point. Bumpus made a really big point to talk about, you know, how excited he was to get to teach these guys a real route tree. Let me tell you, they ain't running a real route tree in this offense. If if, if you're curious, every single time that you get a an interview about a receiver who comes out of the veer and shoot three, you know what those guys get asked about a ton in the draft process. So you only ran like three routes in college, right? Like that's basically what it comes down to those guys. So I, what I'm getting to is I don't know Bumpus in terms of on-field coaching and development. I would have questions about because if you want the system to operate at the highest level, I think you ideally would want someone who has been in it and knows what you want out of your receivers. And I'm not saying Bumpus is incapable of doing that. I'm just saying, I think there would be some value there. But I also understand you have to have the players, and that's a position MSU has to 
get talent in. So I get why you kept him. Um, and look, Greg Knox, hey, that's a guy who's just a great ambassador for the program. Can't hate on keeping him around. Uh, so, Dan, your thoughts on, on those guys coming back? Uh, my biggest thing is is with David Turner. Uh, that's always going to be a big thing. And, look, uh, I know he's he's known this as well, obviously. I mean, the Mississippi defensive line class this year is huge. And Ole Miss has dominated that so far, right? Like, all the top guys are committed there. There's ever a guy you'd hope could flip at least one, maybe two. I was, I'm not there uh, talking to the guys. I don't know what they're thinking. But, hey, you never know. Uh, he would be that guy, right? He, he would be that guy that I'd want going to those homes saying, hey, you know the reputation here at Mississippi State. Look at the resume, right? Turner, all, he has to put his resume on the table. Look at the guys in the NFL and how much money they're making. It's, it's a good selling point. And so, hopefully – that would help on the recruiting trail there because, yeah, th- this year's Mississippi defensive line class is insane. Uh, and it hurts to see the Ole Miss logo next to all of those on the 247 website. It, it really does because normally you'd expect it to be the other way around where they're getting the wide receivers, we're getting the defensive guys. Uh, something happened. I mean, I, I don't know what happened, but <laughs> – I guess roles are reversing. Who knows what happened in the state of Mississippi? Yeah, and I will say that was one of the other things that was disappointing this year. If you were talking, you know, a reason to not keep bring Turner back, it's like this guy's supposed to be the recruiter, and he, Ole Miss is beating you for all these kids. Now, how much of that is because of factors that MSU's coaching staff can't control? Like NIL has obviously been a big topic, which Bulldog Initiative has, you know reached 2.2 million in donations over the past few days and are still, when you consider in that million dollar match and they're still going strong, that's fantastic. And you hopefully can keep up the momentum there so that you can change some of that. Now, in terms of getting some of those guys who are committed to Ole Miss to flip, I don't know. I mean, look, you're you're running out of time until signing day. You only have a few weeks left, but long-term, I do think having David Turner around is still mostly a good move. In terms of the guys who were on their way out, look, a lot of these were obvious. We all made fun of when the report came out that Kevin Barbe was going to be gone. It, obviously, there's no, there was no surprise there. Mike Schmidt, obviously, Will Friend, uh, Matt Brock, Darcel McBath, Brent Dewhurst, Eric Mealy, which that was one I think there was some discussion on because special teams, there has been positives to it. I know punting is, was you know very up and down and frustrating, but from a kick return game, and I do think, I don't think the issues MSU has had in terms of missing kicks the last few years was a mealy thing. I, I think that was just you were playing a freshman this year for much of it, and then last year or a couple years ago you were dealing with injuries, right? Um, Tyson Brown gone especially uh, as your strength and conditioning coach. Coach uh, Matt Brock gone. I can't remember if I said that or not. The one that fans are most disappointed with is Tony Hughes, um, and. I think I saw somebody say there was some talk about maybe keeping him in an off-field role, but obviously like he would have to want to do that. Disappointing. Obviously, that's a guy that is fantastic to have on your staff. If you want to talk about having ties within the state, um, you know, that's a guy you want. So I, it kind of sucks that you couldn't find a spot for him, but I also understand if I, – I would imagine some of that is a case of 
if you're um, if you're Jeff Levy, if you're talking about keeping him on the offensive side of the ball, well, you're already devoting one offensive you know position to a guy who does not know your system. Do you want to have two guys there who don't know your system? On the defensive side, your defensive coordinator is probably going to want to have a lot of say in the guys that he has. The guys who know they're comfortable with him and know his system. And you, again, you already have defensive line a guy sticking around. So I can understand why ultimately you move on there. We're like, you kind of had to pick and choose who you were going to keep. And I think they went with the guys who they view as the two most valuable recruiters on the roster, roster on the coaching staff as it is. Kept them around, kept a good ambassador for the program and Greg Knox, who I think is probably mostly here to just be someone that is a, even as an analyst is a good voice in the locker room, but also someone that Levy can lean on in terms of understanding this program and what will and won't work. Um, and then otherwise, you know, it, it's going to be guys who either are familiar with Levy's system or familiar with what the defensive coordinator wants to do. Um, any thoughts on, you know, the guys who we're seeing move on? Well, I'll, I'll speak for Lounge Dog here. Uh, I'm sure he want one of us say something. Uh, goodbye, Will Friend. Won't be missed. But uh, besides that, uh, yeah, I mean, this happens with coaching change. It's always going to happen. I mean, I think uh, the before Jonathan Smith was hired at Michigan State, I think their athletic director was uh, – I think he just got rid of everybody, all their staff members. It's like, adios, see you later, sayonara. That kind of thing happens with the football coaching change. So uh, it's not just the head coach. It's everyone. Their their job is always up in the air. So it's it's always something that you're going to see. This many guys gone, yeah, I'm not shocked one bit. So um, I do hope the best for all of them. Obviously, that they'll be able to find a job somewhere. Excuse me. Uh, they'll be able to, you know, get something else going. Uh, and, and with Barbie, I mean, yeah. Obviously, we, we had kind of had our concerns when he was hired, and, and obviously it just it didn't work out. Didn't have the personnel for his kind of offense it, it, to work as it had at other schools. That's okay. Um, you know, he, he can make it work somewhere else. But I, I think state fans were were okay seeing – more than okay seeing him gone, and especially because his offense has nothing to do with uh, with what Jeff Levy is going to be running. So, yeah. Uh, besides that, you know, look, I said, a lot of these guys are uh, leech guys. Uh, so it's tough to see them go, but it's understandable just knowing the situation. Now, look, I will say for Barbe, even though I did make fun of it a little bit, you know, with the why what happened tweet, um, by all indications, he is genuinely a great guy. And I will, like, this is the side of coaching that sucks. Like, that's going to be the third move for him in four years. So that's that's getting his family up and moving. That sucks. What gets talked about time and time again when you talk about coach firings, don't feel bad for the head coach because he's almost certainly getting a, a nice buyout. The people you should feel bad for are the assistants who probably did not have much of anything to do with why they are having to leave. So that does suck. I know Eric Mealy is someone that I've heard nothing but great things about. Um, and you have a lot of guys in the staff who definitely were coming in here thinking, you know, all right, this is going to be our next stop for the next few years, and they're, they didn't even make it a year. That sucks. I, I, I totally get that. But a point that I have heard made a few times, and it's a very good one, one of the biggest issues last year with with the with the, these coaches and the and how the process with how they got hired 
Kevin Barbe was kind of like the last one brought in. Your offensive coordinator, the one running an offense, the one calling the plays, was the last one to come in and didn't have any say in who his assistants were. That's kind of setting a guy up to fail. Now, obviously, the talking point with him is, well, we're going to be adaptable and run stuff that suits the players, so it should all work out. Clearly, he was not at all set, like – was prepared to run a system that really suited these guys. I don't know how much say he really got in that, but he also was working with assistants. Like he has no familiarity with any of those guys. So I think that's where you run into a situation where you got guys who, if the rumors of, you know, competing voices are, is true. And, you know, one of the guys who got blamed for that a lot, Brad Peterson, I don't know how legit that is. I just know that was a very common theme. The, you know, the chief of staff of football, he is no longer here. Um, you hired a bunch of assistants to, for the offense before you knew what offense you were running. Obviously, you can't do that this time. You're not going to keep guys on the staff on the offensive side of the ball who have no fit in what Levy wants to do, especially when what Levy does is a pretty specific system. So you totally understand that, and I think it's totally fair to whoever the defense coordinator is to let him have a good bit of say in the guys that are going to be on that side of the ball coaching his defense. Um, so in terms of the hires that we do know uh, – John Cooper is going to come in and uh, will be the offensive line coach, at least according to Steve Robertson. He was currently the O-line coach at North Carolina, not North Carolina, at North Texas. There had been talk about getting North Carolina offensive line coach Randy Clements, uh, who really close with uh, Levy, had coached with him for a long time, had been on those teams at Baylor, so obviously very familiar with this offense. I guess there is still some possibility that maybe he could be brought in as an O.C., but I would imagine that if you had him, it would be OC slash O-line coach. And apparently his buyout was significant. So weren't able to get him. Cody Kennedy from Arkansas was another guy who got talked about. Obviously, he spent a couple of years in this system with Kendall Bryles, was a semifinals for the Bulls Award Award. But ultimately, Levy goes with someone that he is more comfortable with. Cooper uh, was a you know former Oklahoma offensive lineman, played a few years in the NFL. Worked under Heupel as a grad assistant in Oklahoma before joining him at UCF, which is where obviously he would have met Jeff Levy and been familiar. Although it's possible Levy actually would have been a student assistant at OU during uh, Cooper's early years. But regardless, worked with Levy at UCF, uh, went to Arkansas as a tight end. was a tight end coach at UCF, tight end coach at Arkansas, analyst at Oklahoma in 2022 with Jeff Levy. 2021, he was an offensive line coach for Western Carolina, and then last year was the offensive line coach at North Texas. So there was some speculation maybe he comes in as a tight ends coach, but apparently he will be the offensive line coach here. I know it's not a, a huge name, um, and I guess he hasn't coached offensive line specifically within this system. North Texas is you know more air raid with what they do, but they're frankly the style of air raid that they play is there's plenty that translates, I would say, to this offense. But still, a guy that who would know this offense very well and is plenty comfortable with Jeff Levy. Uh, you know, any thoughts on that hire? Nothing more than just yeah. Hope it. Uh, hope the line is good. We're gonna have a decent amount of turnaround at that position. So uh, Cooper's gonna have uh, either he's gonna have to you know, get a few guys in the portal or, or really expect some big things from the guys that you just have on the roster. I know. I think I saw uh, Lasoya enter the portal today. So that's a tough one, but um, not sure who else will still be here or not. But yeah, he'll have a uh, 
important job to do, right? Protect the quarterback. Well, speaking of that, apparently I think North Texas's center is in the portal and he's rated already as like the number two center in the portal. So that could be something to watch there. Uh, yeah. Nicole you know, that Smith might be, is, uh, is gone, right? He's out of eligibility. I right? believe he would be, he would be done. Yeah. He's been, he's he been was, he was with Joe Burrow at LSU. He's done. Holy moly. Yeah. He, he's not coming back. Love you, Cole. So, uh, but yeah. Okay. Well, let's go grab North Texas guy. Uh, the other hire that was made official, Matt Holosek. Uh, he was an analyst for Oklahoma in the last couple of years. He was a quarterback, assistant quarterbacks coach, and I think also like an analyst at Ole Miss. So he's got familiarity working with Levy. Um, he was with Josh Heupel at Mizzou. So again, there's there's ties within this system. Um, don't know what role he's going to hold here. I would imagine at this point he would probably get a position role, but don't know that for sure. Um, we do know in terms of other assistants at Oklahoma, it's the on-field guys who are not going to be here. DeMarco Murray, I know there was some hype that, hey, DeMarco Murray, you got this NFL running back uh, who is very close with Levy. Maybe you get him to come and be the offensive coordinator, which obviously with Levy calling plays, I'd be all for DeMarco Murray. Like, hey, man, you get a, get a promotion, get to come to Mississippi State. Think about that from a recruiting standpoint, having that guy selling your program. But he's going to stay uh, in Norman. Uh Seth Luttrell, there was some talk about maybe him coming, but I didn't think that one never really made sense because I thought Luttrell was going to be first in line to get the offensive coordinator job in Oklahoma, and sure enough, he is OC. The guy who did seem semi-likely was Joe John Finley, tight ends coach at Oklahoma, very close with Jeff Levy. He was with him at, at Ole Miss as well. They, I think they were at Oklahoma together as players, um, or at least when Levy was there as a student assistant. So, like, those guys are really tight, and it was like, could he come and be offensive coordinator? He's been promoted to co-OC at Oklahoma. So, those are kind of the big names on staff there that we know for a fact are not going to be coming uh, to Mississippi State. And actually, I did just see, speaking of coaches who will be back, it is official. Rod Gibson will be returning to Mississippi State as the director of recruiting. So, guy's been locking down that off-field role for several years now, obviously so crucial for relationships within the state and getting players. That's a guy who just bleeds maroon and white. You're glad you're able to keep him around. Um, but get, getting back to talking about building up the staff, obviously, you know, you have your offensive line coach. You've got your receivers coach. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Holosek goes to coaching something like tight ends maybe. Um, I, I would – is – let me say if he's officially like the quarterback's coach along with OC. I don't remember hearing him say – if he was going to be a position coach, I thought maybe Holosek could do quarterbacks, but I wasn't certain. That, that I mean, obviously that could happen. Like we still don't know who the offensive coordinator is. Um, but I mean, your your last oh, you need a running back coach. That's another that's another thing to look for. Which I don't know. Maybe Greg Knox gets promoted to uh, running backs. Could be. I I don't know. Um, so. Offensive, you know, staff starting to take shape. I feel like you'll probably get that sorted out over the next few days um, because recruiting is about to open back up in terms of being able to go out on the road. So that's going to be huge. Defensive side is where we really don't know much of all, and I don't think you're going to know anything until you get a defensive coordinator high. The name that's coming up a lot is DJ Durkin, obviously former Ole Miss DC who worked alongside Levy, has been at Texas A&M the last couple of years. They were really good defensively this year. Ole Miss improved from year one to year two under him. I would not be super excited for Durkin. Um, breaking news here, because off-field reasons give me pause about Levy, 
the guy who, as a head football coach, uh, had a player die while working under him. I would uh, feel iffy about that hire, but I get he is a successful coordinator. Now, I will say just from schematic, like his style of defense is not something I'm super into. Like his team sort of just sit back and play super conservative. I feel like if you're Mississippi State, I want a more attacking brand of defense. I also think to me, and I understand these guys worked alongside each other, so it's not like they haven't worked together. But I do think an attacking defense, in my opinion, is more complimentary when you're facing a an attacking style of defense to me complements an attacking offense. I think if you're playing a brand of defense where like one of the big things when you run the style of offense, it gets talked about a ton is the impact it has on your defense. You're going, you're, you are naturally going to allow more points because your defense is on the field more. It's you have to start looking at things from an efficiency standpoint. So if you know, there's a chance, all right, they're probably going to move the ball on us pretty well, just because our defense is going to get worn out. I would like my defense to be more opportunistic, be one that's able to get after the quarterback more, be one that's able to um, force more turnovers. I would like a more attacking defensive coordinator personally than Durkin, but I do think you know he could be – I don't think it would be a, a terrible hire, but it wouldn't get me super excited. Some talk around Tom Allen, who is the former Indiana head coach who was just fired. Um, look, the guy's a really good defensive mind. Uh, he was a defensive assistant at Ole Miss when their defenses were good which was a millennium ago. Um, but he, he was a part of some good Ole Miss defenses. He's a guy who's really well-liked. Um, so, I mean, he's got familiarity within the state and is a good defensive mind. I think he would he would do a good job. Got us some smoke around Coach Swag and the Swag Chalice of Jeff Collins. So, uh, I say smoke. It's literally it's one tweet. But Marcus Rogers, who was a high school coach, who is Kamari Rogers' father, tweeted at Jeff Collins with like the eye emoji and kind of like in some replies hinted like maybe maybe Coach Swag's looking to get back into things. And that's a guy who liked his time in Starkville quite a bit. I'll be I know people get hung up on the 2014 defense and the 1A, 1B. I like Jeff Collins a lot. Dan doesn't seem like he can contain himself. What what do you got to say? I mean all I'm saying is last time Jeff Collins was in Starkville. You know what happened? They were number one in the country. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, yeah. Look, honestly, all three names that you've mentioned would be pretty decent. Durkin, I think, would be a decent hire. I think Tom Allen and Collins would be good, even possibly great hires. He's also, for Allen, and I know Collins has been a head coach too, and Collins was – Georgia Tech did not work out, but he was a successful head coach at Temple. Tom Allen has been a head coach, and it's been terrible in Indiana the last few years. But he also had, like, the back-to-back two best seasons they've had in decades. So if you're talking about Jeff Levy as a first-time head coach, we're saying all this, DJ Durkin has been a head coach too. So, okay, but, again, Durkin's not a guy I'd want to be looking to on how to lead a program. But for Tom Allen and Jeff Collins, I think you can lean on that. I mean, Collins has really nice reputation as a recruiter, like – I have no idea if any of these guys are going to be the higher. Durkin's the only one you're hearing a ton about. But I think, to your, I'll let you get back to your point, like the, not bad hires at all if it were to happen. Yeah, I mean, hey, hear me out, folks. I, I should come 
with a warning that this is a joke, but I'm still going to say it. This is one guy who uh, who does have a little bit of head coaching experience. He's been a proven SEC defensive coordinator. His name's being thrown around for jobs like the USC defensive coordinator job. What if we got Zach Arnett? No, I'm kidding. Um, no, he. Unfortunately, that that you, you can't do that. Um, I do wish him the best, but uh, yeah, I like Collins. I like Allen. I like them both a lot. If we can get either one of them. I think that'd be huge for this defense. Hopefully, this hire is made soon. Obviously, you don't want to just rush it too fast and just you know panic hire. You got to get something soon. Obviously, with with Allen, the thing is, like he just got let go, so they're still he's still probably like pondering his career, right, and what he wants to do. You'd have to give him a little bit of time, but hopefully, hopefully, Levy has made a call. Well, I, and they have been in conversation with Durkin. Like that has been confirmed that he has spoken with him, and obviously, like that's someone who just you know losing his job because of a coaching change. Um, you know, he's going to be on. He's going to be looking. I think Collins has expressed like he he wants to get back into it at some point, and you know, probably soon. I think like by some point, I mean probably very soon. Um, so I mean. That's a guy who's available right there. I don't know who the other – I mean, I've seen people bring up like Jim Leonard. I don't see that happening at all. Um, I feel like he's going to have better opportunities potentially. Um, but, yeah, I think – look, Durkin would not – from a success standpoint, it wouldn't be a terrible hire. I think you could – I would prefer something someone else for, you know, again, multiple reasons. But still, to your point, this is going to be a very, very important hire. And this is the one I think – to me, this is the one that we need to see because this is going to – the offensive side of it, even from an assistant standpoint, at the end of the day, we know what the offense is. We know who's calling the plays. I know the position coaches matter to guys because that's, those are the guys you spend most of your time with. But at least in terms of understanding, okay, this is the type of offense I'm going to be in and this is who's coaching me and calling my offense, they have that. The defense is where if you're a defensive guy and you're a recruit or you're someone who's considering leaving the program, you need to know what defense you're going to be in pretty soon. The other big thing State's going to be looking for uh, in the coming weeks is going to be a portal quarterback. Levy in the press conference said it. He's going to look for a portal guy. We know Will Rogers is gone. Mike Wright has a relationship sort of with Jeff Levy, but we can all be honest and say Mike Wright is not going to be the guy for Mississippi State. Chris Parson is someone who I think could be really good within this offense, but do you really want to start him right away? I think clearly he's a guy who needs some time, needs to be brought along. If there was ever a time to go out and get a, a quarterback to come in for one, maybe two years and and be the guy, it's now. And I've heard MSU is going to be committed to, you know, paying up to get one. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to pay what a few of these guys are rumored to be getting at. Um, you know, Cam Ward is a name who hasn't even entered the portal yet, but you're seeing he's reported like six schools have all – I don't know if he's reporting, but somebody has said apparently like six schools have already like behind closed doors, all giving them like million dollar offers to come transfer. Um, you know, I, I don't know if MSU's going to be able to drop a million on a quarterback. Maybe. Hey, Bulldog Initiative did just get a lot more money. But there are some, you know, some some names worth looking at. So the sort of the first big transfer everybody saw was Will Howard, quarterback out of Kansas State, who's, who's been really successful with them over the past couple of years. Um, he is someone that as soon as he went to the portal, there was a Big 12 guy who said, watch Jeff Levy in Mississippi State. 
I don't know if there's intel there. I don't know if that's just kind of putting pieces together, but he is someone who, who's, a, who's been a really good quarterback. Brayson McCall, uh, quarterback for Coastal Carolina, he tried to transfer out last year, and there were not to just go with rumors. My understanding is I think it was an academic thing. He just really couldn't transfer out of Coastal. Um, I would have to assume that if he's doing it again this time, things have been sorted out. But I guess this time he'd be a grad transfer. Um, he, again, is someone who has been a fantastic quarterback uh, the past few years. He's an accurate passer, not a big arm, which in this offense would be a little bit concerning, but he does have mobility. Um, you know, clearly playing in an offense that was a lot of like spread option. Like he's not a he's not like a burner. He's not super, super shifty, but he is just a good solid runner, which is kind of what you need or is preferable within this offense. If anybody's gonna bring up Riley Leonard from Duke, as soon as he entered the portal, he followed a ton of guys from Notre Dame on Instagram. So uh put the pieces together there. Tyler Van Dyke transferring out of Miami. I don't think that that one would make a lot of sense. Dante Moore out of UCLA, the former five-star freshman. Didn't have a great season this year for Chip Kelly, but a guy who's got a ton of talent, so that's going to be a, a guy who gets pursued. And then the other big name in the portal transferring now for the second time, DJ Uyunglele uh, out of Oregon State with Jonathan Smith moving on. DJU is moving on. I saw that the the – the likely transfer destinations were listed as Florida state, which would be very interesting, uh, but also Oregon. Uh, his brother is a linebacker at Oregon. That would have to kill Beavers fans. I would hate that for him. Um, you know, I would think he would just go follow Jonathan Smith, in Michigan, but he, he is a guy who's got some talent. He did a helped his career a lot bouncing back this season. He could have some opportunities. I, I was about to do <laughs> Dan's raising his hand. I was go ahead. Well, there is a name that uh, I, we might have missed that I completely forgot about until just now. Maybe I'm in a head, but MJ Morris from NC State. Yes. Okay. That one's a weird situation. Um, played some last year with Devin Leary injured. This year has to step in for Brendan Armstrong because he just wasn't good. And he plays really well as a starter, plays his four games, and says, I'm redshirting. Because apparently the plan was for him to redshirt this season. I think he had to play as a true freshman last year and, you know, use up what could have been a redshirt year. Wanted to redshirt this season. But anytime a guy gets a few years in as a, as a starting quarterback and is having success and gets a few games in and says, nope, I'm done, the guy ain't coming back. So that, that would be an interesting one to look at. Um, I don't know a ton about his skill set. I really haven't watched him a ton. Um but definitely, I mean, he's someone who will probably have some opportunities. I think he is he, he's considered a pretty talented guy and is young. Out of the guys who are already in the portal, any of those names stand out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, Will Howard is probably the number one guy there. He's been successful, right? Went to a Sugar Bowl uh, last year. Won, won the Big 12 uh, yeah. as quarterback at Kansas State. So that that's a big thing, right? The uh, Until Georgia came along, the only team, the only quarterback to beat uh TCU last season um you know yeah that's really the one that I'd like I mean if you could get Dante more and, and obviously when it comes to numbers and NIL I mean we heard kind of what uh Matt Rule said the other day about like a good quarterback is worth you know between one to two million dollars in the portal you know yeah that's just questions like are you gonna be able to find that kind of money to get that kind of guy the thing is this, 
you already know that with the offense and the way you're selling the team, you're going to get fans in seats next year. And I, and I think that might be one of their goals, right? They, they want people in seats. And obviously you got, they found a way to get people excited for this season, even right. It was like one of the highest amount of uh, season tickets old preseason in a while. Obviously it didn't work out and you've got to bounce back. And I mean, if you get a guy like Will Howard, or I'll, I'll even say MJ Morris. I'll throw his name. I think that's one that I'd like. Or Dante Moore, guy who was a five-star player. I mean, gee, it could be awesome. I think the last guy who was quarterback, you got to also consider it, last quarterback transferring who was at one point a five-star, broke an SEC record, didn't do much else uh, for Mississippi State. Talking about good old KJ Costello. Obviously, that was a, a very different situation than what you have here. I like Will Howard. I would love Will Howard. I don't understand if you can't get him, but I would love to have him in Maroona White. Yeah, I think Will Howard is the guy who you'd be most excited for. I mean, look, he, he had a really nice season this year. Um, over 2,600 pass yards, uh, 24 touchdowns, 10 picks. He also ran for nine touchdowns, also caught a touchdown. Um, You know, Grayson McCall, I do think, despite the lack of arm strength, which, again, in an offense that wants to take shots, is concerning. From what I watched of him, he is at least accurate on his passes down the field. And it's not all that common that you are – this is a point Mike Leach made time and time again, that arm strength is the most overrated trait in a quarterback. Because how often is your quarterback actually needing to complete a pass that goes more than 30 yards down the field? That was the thing that Leach would always say. If he can take a 30-yard pass and throw it accurately and on time, I can work with that guy. Um, and I think McCall coming in a system, like obviously this past year, Jamie Chadwell was no longer there, so they were not running the exact same offense, but they kept some of the, they kept some of that in place. But playing in that spread triple option, it's a very different offense, but there is one thing I would say that carries over a ton, and that is you being used to uh, working the RPO and play-action game. Because Coastal ran a ton of RPO, um, you know that that's one thing. They're spread triple option, but they threw the ball quite a bit. So it's not just you know dive, pitch, keep every single play from under center. Like no, they're like sometimes it's triple option, but it's also the ability to throw the ball downfield. And he was good at connecting on those. He's used to taking shots off of play action. I think I was watching a clinic Jeff Levy did a couple years ago, talking about the offense at Ole Miss. And he said, I think they like led the nation in the percentage of their snaps that start with the quarterback, start with the ball in the belly of the running back. It was like 90% of the plays Ole Miss ran, they were either handing it off or at least showing the handoff before pulling up to throw. That would be something Coastal Carolina did a lot. So there is some familiarity with, with that aspect of it. And I do think the mobility is, is a nice bonus. Dante Moore had a pretty rough season, but again, there's a lot of talent there. He is a guy, though, that I think would have potential higher suitors. Now, there's a few quarterbacks who are not yet in the portal, but there's been plenty of smoke about him. We already talked about Cam Ward, who, again, I think would be fantastic. He's been really, really good at Washington State. Um, but, you know, it's state to be able to beat out a, a top program, which going back to that point, Will Howard is someone who – Howard is probably, I think, going to be the most coveted guy in the I would say him and if Cam Ward enters are going to be the top two. So State would have to battle some teams for those guys. Um, did I 
Yeah, yeah, I did. I was about to say, did I mention DJU? Yes, we did talk about him. The name that's come up a lot, KJ Jefferson. Rumored that he had entered, he was entered the portal, was going to. KJ, I think, put on Snapchat, I have not made a decision. Uh, Sam Pittman, though, came out and said, we'll support him, whatever it is, which to me, if your coach is saying that, kind of feels like he's probably on his way out. Look, obviously, this past year was tough on him. Um, going to an offensive system that did not suit him whatsoever. They're bringing in Bobby Petrino now, so that's another new system. Now, which, okay, by the way, we have not talked about That is incredible that Bobby Petrino is back in Fayetteville. <laughs> I hope he strolled up in a motorcycle. Like, that would have been the greatest thing ever. How I love them saying we had to vet Bobby Petrino. Oh, really? You did? <laughs> what exactly were you vetting? <laughs> that is remarkable. The image of him, the neck brace, the sugar bowl hat lives rent free in my head ever since I was a kid. I remember what happened. It has lived rent free in my head. I love it. I'm right there with you. I love that. It's amazing. College football is amazing. You're Sam Pittman. And you know you have to put together a good season to save your job. Like six and six, seven and five may not be enough. And you hired Bobby Petrino, who, despite being a total jerk to everyone by all accounts, and having a very unceremonious exit the last time in Fayetteville is the last coach they've had who's won at the level that they think they're supposed to win at. There's no way this goes the way they want it to. Like, th- th- there has to be clashing, and it has to just blow – Like it's going to blow up in their face. It, it abs- it, this ends with Bobby Petrino being the interim head coach at Arkansas. Hog fans, get ready for the ride. I, I did point out, um, you know, two stints for Bobby Petrino at Arkansas. He had two stints at Louisville. I think somebody pointed out to me he had two, like, at the lower levels, he had a couple programs. He was there twice. Um, so, shout out to the Atlanta Falcons on Bobby Petrino once again becoming the head coach uh, of your franchise because now that's going to happen. Um, you know, they always say Petrino comes twice. So, he's uh, a <laughs> – He's he's back in Fayetteville. Um, but for KJ Jefferson, look, obviously, if you're gonna say anything about Petrino, he has shown the ability to build a system around a quarterback. He so maybe that maybe there's some convincing there, but I kind of feel like KJ's kind of dumb there. Not dumb. KJ's kind of done there. I think he's been looking to get out. I mean, Mississippi State makes a ton of sense, right? He want he's probably gonna want to come. I think he wanted to play in state out of high school. Neither State nor Ole Miss gave him that opportunity. Ole Miss still going to have Jackson Dart. Uh, I think they are. Well, even if yeah. Dart – Oh, yeah, Dart said – well, didn't – okay, Kiffin said Dart was back, but then Dart said he hadn't made a decision. Dart's coming back. He's coming back. Well, even if they do, they have Walker Howard. And apparently Walker Howard, like part of the selling point to get him to transfer in was sit behind Dart for a year and then you're the quarterback. So I doubt they would bring in KJ. You're Mississippi State. You need a quarterback. And 
the guy was pretty successful running largely this offense. Now, Kendall's offense is not the exact same. Um, if you go watch those Arkansas teams, it's not like they were running all the same stuff that Levy runs, but it's the same terminology. Like they you they call stuff the same way. They have a lot of the same concepts and the same philosophies. It would be a pretty seamless transition, I have to think, going from – even though he's had a year of running the Dan Enos offense in between, knowing what he did with Kendall to then going to the Levy kind of feels like it makes a ton of sense. I mean, you want a quarterback who can connect on deep shots downfield. If there's one thing I will say for K.J. Jefferson, because as a passer, he is rough. The guy is accurate as all get out when it comes to connecting on bombs. Like, he – it's not just arm strength. Like, he hits those guys in stride. If it needs to be back shoulder, it's back shoulder. He's good on that. Um, And I do think when you scheme it up for him and he knows where he's going to go with the ball pre-snap, I do think, like, even the short to intermediate game, he does a pretty good job getting that ball out and getting it in a good spot. And this is an offense where you kind of scheme it up that way. That's the whole point of this offense is that we're, you're, te- you're basically telling the quarterback, throw to this guy because it's going to be open. So, it, you, f- you factor in obviously the mobility. It would make a lot of sense. Um, the other name, and there's just there's no, there hasn't been anything of you know expected into the portal, but it's just kind of obvious. Dylan Gabriel, obviously, has been Jeff Levy's quarterback the last couple of years. He was Jeff Levy's quarterback at UCF. They have a very close relationship. All indications are that Oklahoma is ready to make Jackson Arnold the guy. Their big five-star, uh, I think he's a redshirt freshman at this point. That's their future. They're ready to move to the future. I think there's a chance that Dylan Gabriel is kind of, I don't want to say forced out, but kind of a, you know, a ch- it's a changing of the guard in Norman. And if Gabriel goes in the portal, I mean, look, when he initially transferred from UCF, he, he originally committed to UCLA to go play for Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly needs a quarterback now. Maybe Kelly calls and – Maybe it's, you know, okay, I want to go to L.A. and go with that. But I also think he could very easily want to end up with, you know, the guy whose offense he knows and knows how to run. Um, Any thoughts there on, on those guys? I mean, w- would you be behind Jefferson or Gabriel in as a transfer? Absolutely. Uh, start right away if you get one of them. Um, Obviously, they have to go in the portal. K.J., obviously – Injury concern, right? He was injury prone at Arkansas, so you have to you have to be careful with that. But the talent is there. You know what you have, and and you'd like to believe that. You know, maybe if uh, Mullen was still in Starkville, that maybe KJ would have gotten a shot to just come to state the whole time. But you never know. Maybe now is his time, right? He's a Mississippi guy. You'd love to see him play for for state. So KJ's the guy that I'd really like to. Uh, obviously, we not in the portal yet, so we got to wait on that. But uh, and and as you had pointed out, Pittman's comments kind of lean in that way. He's gonna go. He's gonna go in the portal. And look, that's not necessarily meaning it's gonna be one of those guys. Any of the guys we talked about, it could definitely be someone from the G five ranks we haven't heard of. Um, but. Uh, I, I would think – I think I think State's going to go after a name, and I think by having Jeff Levy, you're going to be able to track that. I think you're going to be able to track some uh, por- portal receivers as well. So, look, 
it's still impossible to know what next season is going to look like for Mississippi State. I think the schedule itself puts a pretty pretty tough ceiling on it as it is. There is a chance to flip this offense, though, pretty quickly if you get the right pieces in. That obviously will be the big talking point uh, on this show for the next few weeks. Uh, I will go ahead and say we have not put together a scheduling plan for basketball season if it's going to be twice a week or what. We'll figure that out. Um, we'll at least keep doing one show a week at, at the minimum, but we'll see if we we keep up two a week for basketball. I mean, basketball is good enough. It might be worth doing. Um, but for the final time this season, we have Pick'em. Uh, conference championship week, 10 conference championship games. We are going to pick all of them. As it stands on the year, I am 91 and 39, right at a 70% clip, or I guess it's technically just, just over. Dan is 74 and 36. Obviously, he's been out for a few weeks. I think he's batting around 68. Um, Colton is 41 and 19. I don't remember what the percentage is, but I still – I do have the percentage lead. So, Dan has to differ from me quite a bit here if he wants a chance to overtake me in terms of percentage. I don't know if we're going to report who wins on this in the next show. I don't really care. Um, but we do – I can already see we've all we've both made our picks. And we I, have some I, I, I like my odds. I like them a lot. You got some opportunities. Uh, starting out Friday night, the fighting New Mexico State Aggies, the fighting Jerry Kills, the fighting Diego Pavias, 10-3 and three on the season, a 10-win season. And Las Cruces, they have played 13 games because they played Hawaii, so they get the extra game. But it does not matter. It's New Mexico State, and they've won 10 games. For the first time since going eleven and zero, like back in the sixties, um, Jerry kills under, and obviously they beat Hugh Freeze, so we have to celebrate them. They go on the road to Liberty, who's ranked twenty fourth in the country. The Flames undefeated. Jamie Chadwell twelve and zero, trying to go to thirteen and zero after saying no to our job. Screw you, Jamie Chadwell. But I am picking Liberty to win. I just do think they're the more complete team, top to bottom. All right, I feel like Pat McAfee here might give it a little uh, of a war chant for New Mexico State. Look, Liberty beat New Mexico State earlier in the season. New Mexico State also lost to UMass on August 26th. I remember watching that game, and I was like, what in the world is going on? Right right after last year when New Mexico State had a great end of their season, won their bowl game, I think it was the Quick Lane Bowl, whichever bowl they played in. Uh, I think it was the well, one they, in Detroit. They beat Hugh Freeze last year. Because they beat Hugh Freeze every year. Yeah, exactly. You do not beat Jerry Kill twice in a season. Give me New Mexico State. They're on eight-game win streak. They're about to make that nine games. They're about to be 11-3. and Hell, 12-3 and because they're going to go in their bowl. They're going to win 10 games in a row to close the season. What a great time to be a New Mexico State fan. I am cheering for like I'm I'm picking Liberty because I think they're going to win and I'm not going to change my pick here when I know that you need to make up ground so I'm not going to just go with you. I'm absolutely cheering for New Mexico State because a I like them more. Uh, B I'm going to have a grudge against Liberty fans and Jamie Chadwell for the rest of time, um, which also I mean, cheering against Liberty is I think a good thing to do. Um, number five, four, yeah, the game I think every. And most people are excited for it. This is a great Friday night. Number five, Oregon versus number three, Washington. Played maybe the best game of the year earlier this season. Absolute classic. And sure enough, they meet here. I think it's winning in. 
to the playoffs. Do the Ducks get revenge, or does Penix do it once again? Yeah, you're right. This is a quarterfinal game, if we're going by that. This is a quarterfinal game. Win your in, lose your out. Look, last time you had the home field advantage, Washington. And I do want to pick the Huskies so bad. I really do. I just don't see a way Oregon's losing this game. They're going back to the playoff. This is the year. Bo Nix is so comfortable in this new offense. He's playing loose. He's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a dark horse candidate for the Heisman. No, he's not a dark he, horse candidate. Isn't he's he the dadgum front runner? He's like minus 200, I think I saw. Okay, I will talk about that. Well, okay, that was, to be fair, that was T-Bob Bear saying that. So I don't know for sure if he's minus 200. I think it'd be, I don't see how he is. It makes zero sense. I'm not looking at the odds. I don't care. I think Jaden Daniels should win it because I think Jaden Daniels has been the best player in the country. I understand yes. the argument of, he, you know, inflating stats. I don't care. Like, go look at the efficiency numbers on that LSU offense and the numbers he's put. Like, uh, to me, he's been the best player, and I don't care that LSU lost three games. Like, RG3 won the Heisman with on a three-loss team. Lamar Jackson won the Heisman on a three-loss team. Like, it can happen if you're that good. And to me, he's been that good. And I have conflated feelings on the on the championship game thing because I've all for the longest time I was firm on like if you turn it because you can already vote, you can put your vote in for the Heisman now. And for the longest time, I felt if you vote for this before conference championship games, or you're a complete moron, right? You're leaving out a data point. But I see the other side do it though, because this is the problem. So many people just let the conference championship game determine who they're going to vote for. Like, I think if you're going to be mature enough to weigh the entire season, then okay. Otherwise, I get and look if or there's a very good chance if Bo Nix goes out and throws for like if he accounts for like five touchdowns and 400 yards of offense to lead the Ducks to a win, I think he's winning the Heisman. And look, it'll be it'll be granted like. He will have deserved it, but I do think Jay Daniels will win it. All that to say, I am also picking the Ducks. But I do think this is going to be a really good game. I, I think Washington, despite the fact that they've kind of been playing with their food for the past month and a half now, I still think they they can keep up in this game. Big 12 championship. So, funny story here. I got an email yesterday or two days ago from – like one of my bosses from Fansided, so like the parent company of Rudy White Nation, like, hey, you're potentially going to receive an email with a media credential to the Big 12 championship. Just know it wasn't meant for you. We had an Andrew Miller who leads the Texas site, and we gave the wrong email. So if you get sent that, please send it over to me. Which, of course, you know, I, I never got it. And I would have been a, a good person had it, had it actually happened. But, man, I saw that. I was like, well, Jesus, man, I would love to go to the Big 12 championship game. Like, go be credentialed for a college football game. That's like a dream. Um, but, alas, I will be watching from my couch. I did see a game we're talking about, like, tickets for Tulane. I'm an hour away. Like, I could just go to that and just for fun uh, against SMU. But, regardless, number 18, Oklahoma State versus number 7, Texas. Obviously, this one's a little 
you know, Texas being ranked seventh has people freaking out over whether or not the horns are going to still be winning in and how that all breaks down. Um, Oklahoma state's been very weird and that they're nine and three. They lost to South Alabama. They got obliterated by UCF and they barely survived the last few weeks. It would be very funny if Oklahoma state did it to Texas on the way out. I don't think it's going to happen. Hook them. I'd, I'd love for it, but hook them. Uh, yeah. The, the, the situation Texas is in is the reason they're joining the SEC. So they get left out. They're not going to like it, but that's the reason they're joining the Southeastern Conference. For Welcome to the worth, SEC, guys. I don't know. Well, I was going to say I don't know if they get left out. Like, I don't – okay, I do not think they get left out for Alabama. The doomsday scenario people are putting out there because people do this every single year. They find something to get – they find something in the early rankings before the final ones that, like, they complain, oh, my God, the committee's going to screw over this team. Oh, my God, they're going to put this team ahead of them, and it never works out that way. This year it's Alabama and Texas are both going to finish with the same record. Texas is going to have beaten Alabama, but Alabama's going to get in. I don't think that happens, but I do think like the Pac-12 champ is going to be in ahead of them. And if Georgia, Michigan, and Florida State are all undefeated, like I understand the FSU situation quarterback-wise, we'll pick that game in a few minutes, but I feel like Texas would be left out there. Regardless, we both have Texas. So, all right, Boise State at UNLV. The Mountain West decides their championship game by using computers because they had a three-way tie at the top. Uh, without even tiebreakers all the way around. This is the matchup. Uh, I'll go ahead and make my pick here. I'm going with Boise. They're playing a lot better as of late. UNLV's looked a little bit shaky, even though I like the Rebels a lot. Uh, don't clip that. I don't mean those Rebels. I mean the, the running Rebels. <laughs> Uh-oh, did you hear that, guys? Uh-oh. Uh, I'm going to go with Boise State. Give me the fighting Barry Odoms. I got UNLV. Uh, number one, Georgia versus number eight, Alabama. Obviously, this is the one that's going to get all the attention in the world. Alabama's been playing well outside of the Iron Bowl, but the Iron Bowl is what it is. Georgia also didn't play great against Georgia Tech, but it doesn't really matter. I think Georgia's just better. Uh, go dogs. Roll tide. You ain't going to keep Nick Saban down long enough. Okay, that, yeah, don't clip that either. But I don't think you can keep Nick Saban down. Uh, I think he gets his payback against Kirby. So, Alabama. This game could be an absolute banger. American Conference game, uh, championship. SMU at number 22, Tulane. SMU's been massacring everybody, but they also really haven't played anybody. Tulane was, like, barely surviving against nobodies, but then they took it to UTSA to finish 11-1. and one. Should be a great atmosphere in New Orleans. Uh, but I – I'm trusting SMU. Rhett Lashley, new contract extension. I also think Willie Fritz has his mind elsewhere. Uh, Mustangs. Yeah, uh, give me Tulane. Willie Fritz's final game before he goes to Houston. Got to go with the green wave. Sunbelt, App State at Troy. App has turned it around over the back half of the season to get into the championship game. Troy has just been a monster all year. I'll go with the Trojans. Yeah, Troy gets their payback for that little uh, Hail Mary or whatever the heck that was last year. Uh, also, I like John Sumrall. I've always liked John Sumrall. 
mostly. But uh, I was an advocate for him to be our head coach. It's okay. The future head coach of Kentucky will win this game. Number two, Michigan versus number 16, Iowa. We're both picking Michigan. Does Iowa? How much does Iowa score? It's going to be a 10 nothing win for, for Michigan. I'll give Iowa a field goal. Number 14, Louisville versus number four, Florida State. Obviously, Louisville lost to Kentucky, but that's kind of just what happens sometimes in that rivalry. Florida State, without the quarterback, tough situation. I still think the Knowles pull it out. Give me Louisville. It's going to be the saving grace for the playoff committee so that they can put Alabama in and Texas in and still keep Georgia out. Give me Louisville, the cards. And lastly, obviously the most important championship game of the week, so important because I forgot to put it in earlier, the MAC championship game. Everybody turns their attention to Ford Field in Detroit. Miami of Ohio, because they're the only Miami that goes to conference championship games, versus the Toledo Rockets, who have been incredible all year. Miami's 10 wins, but they, you know, starting quarterback went down a few weeks ago. I'm going to go with the Rockets. Coach Duggs, this one is for you. Let's go Toledo. <laughs> I like that. All right, so that'll do it for us this week. Uh, again, we haven't figured out our schedule going forward, but we'll definitely let you guys know once we figure that out. Either way, you will hear from us next week with new news for Mississippi State football regarding the coaching search. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Dan, for hopping on. As always, swing your sword. Hail State.